going to the show and some of the things that the actors did on stage. Um, I'll never forget the narrator in the show, you know, when the show opened, she like pokes her head out from behind the curtain and looks around first before saying her first line. While I don't pick up the fiddle much these days, I still really enjoy music. A really fond memory for me was traveling to Sydney with the concert choir that I was part of within the all-girls school in Hobart. We found ourselves singing a mixture of Disney tunes and traditional pieces and one in particular which was called A Caterpillar of Society. There were fancy moves which, which were simple enough in their choreography so that we could be somewhat in sync although if we did throw out a left foot instead of a right it would usually result in teenage giggling and girls that needed to pull their socks up if you like (laughs) and continue singing in the choir. I remember traveling on the monorail in Sydney which was quite the novelty because we didn't have anything like that down in Tasmania. We were travelling along the monorail, a group of probably 20 or 30 girls, teenage girls, mind you, and for some reason or another, we broke out into song and action on the monorail itself. (laughs) I believe we had a little bit of an audience who were captivated by the enthusiasm and feelings that were evoked through that song, and... It's something that certainly stuck with me in that memory as well. My guest today has also had very similar experiences within the entertainment space, including stand-up comedy, Broadway theatre, interviews with celebrities and many, many more aspects to his life. I'm Linda Bonney and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Adam Rothenberg, welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. Whereabouts are you now in the world? So right now I am in the United States. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. The part of Brooklyn I'm in is about an hour outside of New York City. Ah, So I've had a few people, New Yorkers, come across the conversations that we had so far. How did you end up in New York? Have you always lived New York side or um, what does that what's that journey look like for you? Yeah, so the short of it is that I was born in Queens, but I moved to Long Island when I was one years old. So basically, I consider myself a Long Islander. I grew up on Long Island, which for those of you who don't know New York, it's about 30 minutes outside of New York City. And I lived in New York all through high school and then college. I went to a college near Boston, Massachusetts. So about 20 minutes outside of Boston, I I went to college. I lived up in and around the Boston area for a few years after college. And then I moved back to New York. I moved back to Long Island first. And then uh, I would say about eight years after living on Long Island on my own as an adult, I moved into New York City and I lived in 
um, a few different parts of Manhattan for 10 years. And then in 2020, I moved out to Brooklyn Mm. because in 2020, I, I moved in with my boyfriend. So he was already living in Brooklyn. So we got a place together and now we're on our second place together in Brooklyn. Yeah. And from what I remember, when I think I was sitting down with the kids and talking about population after our recent trip around Europe, New York has quite a big population, like 8 million or something like that. Is that? Yes. It's a, it's a huge population. Yes. It has like, there's millions of people that live in New York City. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So the population of the entire of Tasmania, so all of the cities around the state, <laughs> is only half, about half a million. Oh, wow. So 500,000. So just to put it into context for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We are quite diverse and spread out. So there's a few cities throughout the island because we're an island underneath an island, essentially. And so very, very different, I would suspect, to what I've grown up with and what I'm used to. Tell me about inner city living and what does that look like and feel like the landscape of the streets. I'm just trying to picture it in my mind because I do revert to what I've seen on the internet or movies or that sort of thing. But tell me what it actually is like to live there. So I'm going to say that it's, I feel like it's definitely different now post-pandemic than Um, Mm pre-pandemic. However, when I moved into the city, I moved into Manhattan around 2010, I think it was. And I was working in the city at the time. I had a full-time job. So I was commuting from Long Island. It was about a 40-minute train ride from where I lived on Long Island into the city. And I was just spending so much time in the city that finally it just made sense to to move into the city. So I, the area I moved into was Chelsea, which is a predominantly gay area in New York City. Um, and I happened to move down the street from a friend of mine that I was friends with at the time. And I was also within ease of walking to my job at the time. It was probably maybe 25 minute walk from my apartment at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I loved it. It was that first Monday when I woke up and I did not have to commute on a train and I could just Mm -hmm. walk to work and walk home. It was amazing. Now, granted, I had to walk through the streets of New York and it's, it is very crowded, but to me, it was exciting. It was thrilling because I didn't have to commute. If I wanted to stay at an event a little bit longer, or if I wanted to, you know, go home in between leaving work and going to a show, I could easily do that and still Mm. be within good proximity to, you know, to do that. So there was a lot of conveniences that opened up from living in the city, but at the same time, you're in a very hustle and bustle kind of area and everybody's running around moving fast. It's very fast paced living. I would say there's always something going on. There's always some kind of noise happening. And if you want that quiet, you really do have to find it more within yourself than in an external way. So that was definitely something to work on. And then I lived in Chelsea for about two years. And then my best friend was thinking of moving into the city as well. And I was like, you should. And um, several months before he decided whether he wanted to move into the city or not, he would actually come and stay with me on the weekends. And 
we got along great. And I felt like if he can come and, and stay at my apartment on the weekends, which was a studio, being roommates in a in a one bedroom or two bedroom, it would work out fine. And we found a great, it was technically advertised as a one bedroom, but it really was suited for, for a two bedroom you know, two people could easily live there. So we moved to Hell's Kitchen, which is very close to the theater district in New York City. It's very close to Broadway and sort of became at that time, it was like the new gay area. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the gays were moving there. So we were living there and we lived there in the same apartment for 10 years, I guess, a year and a little bit of after meeting my boyfriend, right when when quarantine happened, that's when I, I moved to Brooklyn to quarantine with my boyfriend during that time. And then my lease was up that May of 2020. So mm-hmm. my boyfriend and I had already discussed prior to the pandemic that we were, when my lease was up, we were going to get a place together. So uh, I left Manhattan now two years ago and um, and now we're living in Brooklyn. So, um, I mean, Brooklyn is still very city-like. Where we are, it's a nice mixture of residential and city, at least city living, and that's what I feel. We have like a neighborhood to walk around, and and there's a lot of families here. But there's also a lot of restaurants that we can easily walk to. There's you can easily walk to the grocery store. There are certain times where where you may need to drive somewhere. Being in Brooklyn as opposed to in Manhattan, where you can walk to more places, but where we are, I feel like it's very centrally located and there's a lot of places we can walk to here. So I sort of feel like now I have the best of the suburban life that I grew up with on Long Island and the city life that I had in the city. And I have the best of both worlds where I'm at now. Yeah. And it's quite close to water from what I can see as well. So you do have the opportunity. I remember you talking about, you do a bit of bike riding when you can in a little bit of spare time. <laughs> yes. And I remember you talking about riding sort of down around and through your surroundings and really taking that in and enjoying it as well. Like there's a buzz, there's a certain buzz, I think. Yes. We do have a place here in Brooklyn where we can ride along the water, like along the Hudson River and maybe like 15 minute or so bike ride from our apartment to the water. And then there's like two different ways we could go. We could go towards a pier or we could go towards like a shopping center where we get onto the path for the water is right in the middle of both. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll ride down to the pier and then we'll ride from the pier to the shopping center and um, and then ride home from there. Yeah, awesome. So because you've lived in New York with what sounds like most of your life, all of your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you think that's then wrapped up or tied into, I guess the overused term for it is identity, but how much of that do you feel like is part of who you are and I guess what you find really captivating and how you've ended up in this very point in your life? I think New York plays a huge role in like who I am and where I'm going and where I've been. I mean, like in regards to like a Sunday roast, while maybe obviously we're not doing a roast in the middle of New York City, but 
Um, <laughs> I can take, I can take those feelings. I can take those feelings and those experiences of family time and, mm. you know, put it into a setting here in New York City. So like when I look back over my life, and I think of the special times in New York City that I had with my family that are sort of on the same path as a Sunday roast and remembering those experiences. Um, you know, it's going to a Broadway show or it's going out to eat um, or it's going to an off-Broadway show or to a museum or going to a beach or a playground or going to a bowling alley or so like within New York City, I have experiences with my family and, you know, with my friends too, of course, that um, are the backdrop to so many fun times that I can think of. And the way that like in the clubhouse room, when we were describing a Sunday roast or things you may have at the roast, I can describe like a show that we saw. And I, I, and I have a pretty good memory of like, more or less where we were sitting. Do you have an somewhere. example? Example. So, like, I remember going to see one of the shows we saw as a family. And when I say family, it was like me, my parents, my aunt and uncle, my grandparents. We went to see this Broadway show called Me and My Girl. And it was for my grandparents' anniversary. And it was at the Marriott Marquis, which um, is one of the bigger Broadway houses here. And some other shows that have been at the Marquee Theater, just for context, Thoroughly Modern Millie played there, Beetlejuice is there now, Gloria mm. Estefan's On Your Feet was there, mm. Victor Victoria with Julie Andrews was there, um, Annie Get Your Gun was there. So a lot of, you know, big shows yeah. have played that house. And um, back in the 80s, Me and My Girl was one of them. Well, I just remember going to the show, you know, the whole family was there. I remember we all got dressed up. And I don't know, for some reason at intermission, I just remember like me and my grandparents talking, saying how we were enjoying the show. That memory has just stayed with me. I remember a another show that we saw was we got to see Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on Broadway. Um, that was just m my parents and my brother and I. And the night we went, we happened to bump into uh, neighbors who lived around the corner from us and we were talking about the show. But I still remember going to the show and some of the things that the actors did on stage. Um, I'll never forget the narrator in the show. You know, when the show opened, she like pokes her head out from behind the curtain and looks around first before saying her first line. And um, it turns out now, I didn't know a lot of Broadway actors and actresses growing up, but since I have learned it all, the person that I happened to see in the show who was a narrator was Lori Beachman, who was a very famous Broadway actress. And in the basement of the West Bank Cafe here in, in New York City, which is in Times Square, they named their cabaret space after Lori Beachman. It's called the Lori Beachman Theater. So wow. <laughs> all those all these years later, I had spent a lot of time going to different cabaret shows at the Lori Beachman Theater. And you know, that, and then it was like, oh, I can make that connection to seeing her and Joseph. So it's sort mm. of things can come like full circle mm. here. Mm. 
Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you've ended up now in interviewing hundreds of Broadway stars and all sorts of other opportunities that have come your way? Maybe the foundation of that was part of those memories and those experiences. Can you tell us how you ended up going down that road and within that career and what that was like for you, that is like for you, because you're still very active in that space in many ways now. Yeah. So, I mean, I always wanted to work in entertainment ever since I was a little kid. I didn't really know what that was going to be. You know, of course, as a kid, I thought it was going to be an actor or a singer, but I never really did anything to pursue either of those growing up. And in college, I finally did some theater. I had my own radio show in college. So those experiences sort of opened my eyes to like, oh, this is what being in entertainment is like. And then I did have an internship in college at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is one of the premier theater companies in, uh, well, definitely in Massachusetts, but it has since been now a source of where a lot of shows start before they come to Broadway and then they get mm. transferred to Broadway. That experience of working in theater it just was so exciting to be working at this company where there were plays going on. Um, they didn't really do musicals at the time that I was there. All of their productions were primarily stage plays as opposed to a musical. But I loved the energy of it. I loved, you know, getting to interact with the actors. And I just knew I was in the right place with the right kinds of people. And there was just an energy that just ignited me. For as stressful as it was, I was still enjoying it. Um, fast forward, I did end up leaving that job. And uh, I remember going with a temp agency. And I remember saying to them that I wanted to work in entertainment office. So whether that was like some kind of television studio or radio or something, you know, I wanted to do something there. And the first job that they found for me was working at like a resource and refer referral service doing customer service. So like we would help people find childcare, elder care. Anyway, mm. um, I was like, well, it's not really entertainment, but okay. So, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I needed a job. And so I did that for about two years. But while I was there, I was always entertaining my coworkers. So whether I was telling a joke or I would be raving about the latest album that I purchased, you know, or CD that I purchased, sometimes I would like, because we had headsets on, it made me feel like I was like Madonna in concert. And so yeah. <laughs> sometimes I may stand up and, and I would do like a little mini concert or something, you know, just mm. sing some songs that I was listening to or whatever, but I was always entertaining people. And then finally, I just like, after two years, I was like, I just, I need to be like in, in entertainment. And I was just starting to feel like Boston was not the answer for me. And the company ended up have actually closing down the Boston location. So, mm. uh, well, there was the end of that job. And it just, for me, it aligned the stars aligned and that that was my time to move back to New York. Uh, I wanted to be closer to my family anyway as well. So I moved back and I started working at the New Victory Theater, which was it's New York's premier children's theater. And I worked in the box office, but I loved it because 
I was working with all these actors who, you know, all these people who wanted to be actors and that this is how they were, you know, um, it was like their, you know, some people call it a survival job or their, you know, in between gigs. And again, that energy, I just loved that energy of being around actors and actresses and singers and creative people. It's such a, it's a buzz and a little bit of an adrenaline, adrenaline. Um, yeah, it's quite hard to describe. And it's interesting because yeah. it still feels like you were very much involved, though, without yes. needing to be in the bright lights with the costumes and the makeup and all of that stuff because there's so much that goes into these productions, so yes. much. Yes, as you there know. are. There are. And after after that job with the New Victory Theatre, I ended up going into group sales with theatre and my coworker at the time, and this is where I really got immersed in like who everybody was in theater, like all the actors and actresses. I mean, so anytime a show was coming and we were, you know, trying to sell it to groups, my coworker, she's become one of my good friends, but she would tell me who all the actors were in the show and, and what shows they had done prior and like everything about them. And that's where I really learned about who everybody was. And then that allowed me to re see who I was really becoming a fan of and who I liked. And because we got to see a lot of shows because in group sales, they invite you to come see the show so then you can sell it. So we got to see a lot of great theater and a lot of not so great theater, but just being, you know, then really learning about who everybody was added another level to everything. So then how I got into interviewing, let me just like reel this in, was that I, on the side of having a day job, I was then trying to pursue stand-up comedy, which I did a little bit of in Boston. And then I did about, I would perform about once a month in New York at the comedy clubs here in New York. Um, and I loved, I did love being on stage there. And um, I just loved making people laugh. Well, the comedy didn't go anywhere. I always <laughs> say, my little joke is that uh, I decided to sit down because it wasn't going anywhere. But <laughs> I took like, I, I did stand up comedy probably for about six or seven years, oh, you know, wow. perform, performing once a month. Hard nut to crack. <laughs> yeah. And, and really also to make it as a comedian, everybody said you really, I mean, you, you have to perform more than once a month. You have to go to these open mics. I just didn't have, I guess I didn't have that drive or I didn't have that whatever it is that you need to go to open mics and to wait around till, you know, one, two, three in the morning to perform a five or 10 mm. minute set. So that wasn't mm -hmm. the comedy world probably wasn't really for me, but because of that and because I loved entertaining people, I was still looking for a way to entertain people. And so um, let's see around 2006, I got back into theater. I became the office manager at a Broadway ad agency. It's like one of New York's premier uh, ad agencies for Broadway. And, um, you know, I loved being back in theater and behind, very behind the scenes in a role and with a company that I never really knew existed to get to see now how all of these Broadway ad campaigns get put together and to, to really like run the office and make sure everybody had the supplies that they need to get the ads out. And all of that stuff that a Broadway ad agency does was exhilarating and, and exciting and a world mm -hmm. that I didn't know about there. However, what I was looking for, because um, 
I was still was doing a little bit of stand-up comedy there. Um, and then about maybe after my first year there is when I stopped doing the comedy, but I was still looking for a way to entertain people. And one day my coworker said to me, well, why don't you, um, why don't you start a blog? She knew I was reading all these interviews online with all these Broadway stars on all the different theater sites. And I was like, well, I have questions I want to ask these people. And she, so she said, start a blog. So I wrote people, this was around 2008-ish, 2008, 2009, when Facebook was mm. becoming more mainstream and not just on college campuses. Um, <laughs> and I and I like to say, yes, I'm that old that I didn't have Facebook when I went to college. Um, <laughs> but it was great because in the years prior, I would be that guy that would be waiting at the stage door to meet all the actors after the Broadway shows. And I would be taking pictures with them, telling them how much I love them in the show. I feel like all of that pre-meeting stuff was used to my advantage because after I would take a picture with them, I would then make sure that, um, you know, and this was with like a film camera, like a, a camera that you have to have film in it. So I would develop the pictures and you whenever you develop the film again. old school yes <laughs> you get two copies of a picture and so i would take one copy for myself and the other copy i would write a thank you note and put the picture in the thank you note and deliver it to the stage door and say would you be able to give this to so and so so all these people got mm. pictures of me with them and a thank you note saying thank you for taking the time to take a picture with me so fast forward to now my friend saying start a blog and think of who you want to interview. So as I started to email some of these actors that were on Facebook, I was like, well, they may not remember my name, but they'll remember my face. And they mm -hmm. did because mm -hmm. with Facebook, when you send a message, your face goes with the message. So I started writing them and I said, I'm starting this blog. Would you like to, you know, answer some questions? And they said, yes. And I started getting a portfolio of interviews. And then I started, um, going through all the press agencies for the Broadway shows. And that would help me get access to some of the actors that I couldn't get to on my own. So um, it kind of all just snowballed from there of how I got into the interviewing. And all of my interviews for probably the first four years or so of my mm -hmm. interviewing journey were print interviews. So I would, you know, email um, I would, again. Oh. Yes, I would <laughs> send my questions via email. They would email their answers back to me. And then um, somewhere around maybe 2012-ish, I started to move into video interviews. And I did then a combination of video interviews and print interviews. And then unfortunately for me, but, but very fortunately for the camera guy that I was using for all my video <laughs> interviews, he was starting to get a lot more work. And um, he just couldn't, he just couldn't continue to be my cameraman and my editor. So I started looking for a new cameraman. But what I started to discover was I had this amazing package deal with him where he would film and edit all of my videos for this one price. And when I started to look into getting new, a new cameraman, a mm -hmm. new editor, it was one price for filming, one price for editing. Well, I couldn't really afford that. So that's how I morphed into podcasting. So yeah. I was like, I was just able to start doing it with my phone. That's how I started my podcast journey. And then I did my podcast. I got two and a half seasons so far. But um, that is sort of how I got into 
all of the different media platforms with interviewing from print to video to podcasting. And do you find the contrast of being like I'm interviewing you right now compared to you usually being in that position? I think it's a really different experience and opportunity to actually have someone interview you when you have conducted hundreds of interviews on the other side as well. For me, that's been quite remarkable, having the opportunity to experience both sides. (laughs) Yes, I am with you on that. It is definitely something I'm still getting used to being on the now interview E side as opposed to on the interviewer side. It's like I'm so used to sort of guiding the conversation and mm-hmm. asking the questions. And it's it's always a little weird for me to talk about myself in an interview because I'm so used yep. to doing being the one to do the interview. But <laughs> I will say, and I think you kind of asked this before and I didn't really give an answer because I took too long to tell you my journey. Um, there okay. is a difference. <laughs> there is a difference but in I do find a difference in the different platforms as well with the interviews. You know, in an email interview, there's only so much I can get. And there are some people who may be more of a talker than a writer. So sometimes, you know, I'm I'm asking all these questions that I think I'm gonna get these like very in-depth answers on and I get and sometimes I do sometimes I get some people will send a paragraph or two back per question others I get one or two lines if I'm lucky so (laughs) there's a limitation to the print interview of of how much interaction you can really get and and how much you can pull from someone so that is one reason I like doing the video and podcast interviews a little more because you can go into more depth if they answer a question and that spawns another question, you can have more of a conversation, whereas the print interview is very question and answer. However, for different seasons of my life, a print interview is just, for me, a little less time consuming, I guess, you know, because the video and podcast interviews, I have to not only take time to record them, but then there's the post-production and the editing and mm-hmm. it's a bit um, like theater. <laughs> yes. Yes. And not that I don't have to edit my print interviews, but for me, that's not as time consuming. And like I said, depending on what's happening in my life, sometimes like right now, for me, I'm choosing to focus more on print interviews because that I feel is what my time allows me to do. And so at least this way I can still do interviews Um you know, it's just going to be a different kind right now. Mm-hmm. And it's so good that you've had exposure to so many different types because I think that only allows you to see the different opportunities that present themselves and also discover a little bit more about yourself and have those uncomfortable moments where you have to talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. Of- focusing on someone else as well Hmm. yes although and I will say like my my interview style definitely has evolved over the years you know I went from one line of questioning to another sometimes I go back to something that I haven't done for a while and other times I try to get even more in depth in certain ways so I it's constantly changing and evolving and it's not staying one stagnant kind of way. I mean, granted, do I have 
like a a rolodex of of standard questions I like to ask. Yes, but one thing I feel like that I've always tried to do is also tailor each interview to the per- person that I'm speaking to. So while I may have some of the same questions weaved throughout all of my interviews, I always try to think of a few questions that are pointed for the person I'm specifically interviewing. Yeah. So yeah, it's skill. It's often looks a lot easier than it is in actual practice when you're there in real yes. life, live with all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of other emotions or other factors that are happening at the same time. Yeah, as well. So one question that I do like to ask as my, I guess, stock standard, if you like, for the purpose of this podcast and interviews is your favourite Sunday roast memories and what they have brought to you and how your your recollection of them is helpful in a way which moves you forward and brings all this together. So I think for me, when I think of Sunday roasts, I think of the family dinners we had growing up mm. when it was primarily the 10 of us. And so that would be me, my parents, my brother, my aunt and uncle, my two, my cousins and my grandparents. And that was like, it was the 10 of us. And so all of the holiday dinners that we would have at my grandparents' house or at my aunt's house or my parents' house. I mean, I can recall different things happened at each of our houses, but the one common theme is that we were all together and, you know, of course, growing up as a kid, you're like, sometimes you drag your feet going to them. But now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, those <laughs> were just some of the most amazing times and what I wouldn't give for them now. But um, in terms of like foods and stuff, I mean, we were very lucky to always have good food. And I guess if I had to think of like the the meals that really stand out the most even though you're limited in what you can eat, I think Passover would be the one Jewish holiday that the specific foods really stand out the most to me because, you know, my grandmother made everything from scratch. So like one dish that we have on Passover is called um, harosis and it's apples and walnuts and wine. And there's a few other variations of it. Some people put different things in it, but my grandmother always did apples and walnuts and wine and sometimes would help her make it. Um, but it just nothing I've had I've had different kinds since she passed, like store bought or mm. or other people's and I don't know, nothing nobody else's has lived up to my grandmother's. I mean I guess my mom's has because she's obviously made the recipe that my <laughs> grandmother had. But um but even then there's a different sort of flavor or twist sometimes or just a slight difference if you've been experiencing it for years. Mm-hmm. There's a slight difference when it does get passed down the generations and it's so satisfying or comforting when you are able to yeah, taste that. And like you said, it's not quite the same when it's cooked yeah. in bulk, perhaps at the at the shop. <laughs> right, Either. exactly, exactly. Or so all of those meals always stay in my mind. But then like even like a simpler 
roast, which wasn't obviously really a roast, but anytime I would sleep over my grandparents' house, I would have Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops for breakfast. Like that was like mm-hmm. a big treat for me to go to their house and have Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops. And, you know, my grandmother would always have um, Melba toast with farmer's cheese. And I think she put jelly on it too, but I definitely remember the Melba toast and the farmer's cheese. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather would have a slice of toast and farmer's cheese for breakfast. And just the the scent of the um, of the toast. And mm-hmm. they would always have coffee, the smell of the coffee as it's brewing. And, you know, in the 80s, we didn't have Keurigs that you just, you know, put in. So, you know, it was really like, I think she had a per- percolator to yep. make the coffee. Yep. And um, as the 80s went on, she had like a more, I guess, modernish kind of coffee maker. But that smell of the coffee brewing... Uh, you know all all those scents and I mean for for the after they you know when they sold their house and they moved into an apartment so after we had to get rid of the apartment you know because they went into a nursing home one of the pieces of furniture I, I had with me when I lived on Long Island and I was just so disappointed when I moved into the city that I had to get rid of it but I had no room for it but it was a break front and if you don't know what a break front is it's basically like a display case and mm-hmm. it was just every time I open those doors to the break front to put something in, I can just smell it. Just the scent of my grandparents' house never left that break front. Mm-hmm. And every time I opened <laughs> it, it would just bring back all of those memories. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful way to wrap up our conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about the Broadway theatre side of. New York and of your own journey as well and how that ties in so nicely with what I've already had the pleasure of experiencing in your company. So it's always a delight. Oh, (laughs) thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. This was so much fun. I appreciate you wanting me to be part of this project. Yeah. Stay tuned. So while we might pull the curtain closed on this conversation, There's plenty more just like this one. (laughs) I think you know where to find them. It's Stories with a Sunday Roast. And, oh, what a delight it is to guide you, to lead you, and really take you on this journey right alongside. Not too far from Adam in New York again, we meet Yvonne. Here's a little sneak peek at her episode, which is filled with absolute joy she said you need to go see my mom's apartment because my husband had told her you need to stop talking to me you need to talk to my wife (laughs) (laughs) and uh i was like okay fine we'll go look but i'm just gonna be sad i'm gonna go i know the apartment's gorgeous and i'm gonna walk in and i'm gonna want to move and i'm gonna be sad because i'm not moving and (laughs) we walked in i met her mom and i said hi we're just looking we're not gonna move and we walked in, and I saw the apartment, and I turned to John, and I said, we're moving. <laughs> and so we moved for the third time that year. And, wow. Uh, and I was very pregnant by the time that happened. So all I did was point people to where they needed to put things when they brought them up the stairs. To hear more about current projects and pull open the curtain on what's happening behind the scenes, 
please head over to my website, lindabonnie.com. I gladly welcome you into the community.